welcome in. It's the PHNX Cardinals podcast, your premier Arizona Cardinal podcast. Like and subscribe. Leave us a five-star wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny Venerable. He is Bo Brock. We are continuing our off-season roundtable with some of the best who cover this franchise today. We are fortunate to be joined by managing editor at USA Today's Cards Wire. You know him, Jess Root. Jess, thanks so much for jumping on with us, my guy. It's a pleasure. Glad to be with you guys. Yeah, Johnny, we're excited. We're doing this roundtable series. We talked up, uh, we caught up with some old friends, Alex Clancy, Blake uh, Murphy, a couple weeks ago, and then the guy who turns out probably the most Cardinals content <laughs> on the internet. Not probably, Jess Proof. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, every it's day you're seeing multiple articles from Jess uh, covering all things cards, and he's been doing it for a long time. How long have you been covering the cards, Jess? Um. I I think it was 2011, March of 2011 is when I got my start um, with Revenge of the Birds over at SB Nation. And then I've been with USA Today doing the Cards Wire since, it. in fact, this month, uh, seven years ago. Wow, that's incredible. And we're obviously buddies with the revenge of the birds site manager seth cox who does fantastic work uh great guy it's just it's a community right and yeah to be honest with you when i joined twitter in i think it was like my junior year of college um like it was in 2009 i feel like that was like the same year you had got started on twitter and made a name for yourself and i just i affiliate cardinals twitter with you and a handful of other people my co-host to my right included and it's just kind of grown from there and it's, it's great. It's great to be able to see out at games, covering the team. And I mean, fast forward, it's, I mean, it's almost going to be what, 17, 16, 17 years doing this. Is it what you expected? How are, how have things evolved, I guess, for you since you started covering the team in the capacity that you did? Well, it's, it's interesting because I've maintained my, my other job. Uh, I, I try not to, to, because I get to cover the team uh, with credentials, uh, like guys, like the full-time radio guys, full-time writer. I try to keep it Cardinals focused so that it doesn't feel like a, so it doesn't make it feel like I'm doing this as a hobby or it's my second job when I know most of the other guys in the building, that's their full-time gig. So I try to treat it like a full-time gig. And that's kind of what it's, it's, it's evolved into since I started in 2010 and 20, well, I actually got thrown a few dollars just with the regional Arizona page um, to, to write injury reports and, and game summaries before I took over the, the team site. And then it was in 2012, I got to cover the, I got a, I was able to cover the team as credentialed media. And so since that 2012 year where they went four and oh, it's, it's evolved <laughs> over time. And then they, then they lost. Yeah. Then what happened out of the last 12 games, uh, that, that season, but you know, I've, I've seen a lot. It's, it's evolved over time. I, I started up the podcast. Uh, that I do as well back in 2013. So I'm rolling up at the end of this at the end of this month. It'll be 10 years that that I've done that. But I mean, for the first four or five, probably nobody listened to it. <laughs> I yeah. think it was just me and and a handful of people. You know, a couple of dozen that were listening to it um, back in the day. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's something that it's been interesting for me having a full time career in in another field to to then build up. Cause I, I mean, I started as a broadcast major in college and changed gears because of a number of, of number of things back. Um, you know, I graduated from college in 01. I'm, I'm old 
now. <laughs> I graduated from ASU with my bachelor's in 01. And, and then it was 10 years later that I, you know, the internet, the whole thing with internet writing kind of was right. taking off. And so I, I dabbled in that, thought, got a couple of breaks and just stuck with it. And, and, you know, I'm be- lucky enough one, I'm, I'm, I'm talented enough with the language to be able to write and to know a little bit about football. Um, even though I never played at, at any level and then to be in a market where, there isn't nearly the saturation of, of outlets that cover it mm-hmm. um, well. In fact, you, you basically have the you have the one newspaper, the one radio station, um, and now you've got a, a couple of and, and now it's like three online, three or four online places. Plus now you guys who are who jumped in with within the last year. And so it's. It's interesting to see. We've seen some great. We've seen some terrible. And I've been a Cardinals fan my, you know, as long as I can remember following football because I'm born and raised here. And so I, I really kind of started the, watching following the Cardinals in 89 on the radio on Sundays. You know, I remember the, the Tim Rosenbaugh days. Tom Tupa, who is irrationally one of my favorite players of all time. <laughs> I don't know why. But yeah, it, to, to go from fan to fanalist to analyst with the, the right. honestly, it's it, there's a fan perspective that that never goes away because i want the team to do well and that is right. one of the reasons why i always tend to be on the more positive side optimistic side of things without being i i try not to be too terribly homerish right it, it you you obviously you do keep that objectivity that's that's important and it, it is it's crazy to just see the evolution and, and you kind of put out your own timeline when you became a credentialed media member right around the same time I did as well. It's like that, that 2011 kind of end of the whiz era. And then you bring on uh, Bruce Arians and then a, a cup of coffee with Steve Wilkes, the Cliff Kingsbury era. And now here we are. I mean, how do you, how do you kind of assess that evolution? And, and now as they embark on a, on a new regime, a new era, the Monty Austin Fort and Jonathan Gannon days of the Arizona Cardinals football club. This is this is one of the most intriguing years because with year, you know, with the general manager with Steve Kime in place, after a few years, he kind of got a beat on the type of roster he wants to put together. And so uh we I, I felt that I, I got a got a hold of trends and types of players they like, the the free agents they would target, the type of draft picks that they would go after high in the draft in the first round. This year, it we're, I mean, this is all new, um, completely. And the way they've kept things under wraps, we're, we're, we're beginning to see what Monty Austin for wants to do. In, in fact, he, he's been given the reins to be able to, you know, completely tear down this roster and rebuild. Uh, I was, I was one of recording one of my shows yesterday with, um, my boss and the Bears wire manager, Alyssa Barbieri. And she was describing last season of the Bears very, very similarly to what the Cardinals are going through this year. Um, I, I, I add the ca- caveat that I think that the Cardinals have a slightly more talented roster than the Bears did a year ago. And they have a quarterback who's farther along in this pro- progress in the NFL. And so if, if we kind of look at what the Bears were last year, probably a touch better than them depending on when Kyler's return and based on what he's saying he wants to come back week one though we know we we know that's not happening that's just his he wants to 
Well, do we? I mean, like I we we've spent much of our shows recently talking about Kyler Murray kind of forcing the issue. And I I can understand Austin Ford and Gannon like preaching patience, but I also know like I, I get it. Week one is probably a stretch. That's but, eight months. I mean, we've never yeah. seen that. A January well, surgery to the to that's an eight month recovery for a position for a guy who that so I know he's targeting week one. And that's that's I love to see that mentality. So he's targeting week one and probably week five, week six seems probably like, cause then you're hitting week five, week six, you're hitting just after nine months, which is the very low end uh, of things. Even if we look at Carson Palmer, who went through it a second time, uh, he suffered, I believe the injury in November and was good to go by week one, but anyone was practicing during training camp. And so you kind of look at that nine to 10 month area I think what it was Adrian Peterson did nine months and that was freaky. And so I don't want to say that Kyler's going to beat Adrian Peterson, but I'm saying he's going to try. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we've got training camp right around the corner. I, I expect him to participate in some capacity. I don't, I don't think they're just going to have him stand around at some point. I, I think August is a realistic timetable for him to at least be padded up, throwing the football, not taking part in, in live drills per se, but I mean, what's your opinion on on Kyler Murray? Because again, you've been a fan like we have the entirety of our our NFL fandoms, right? Or entirety of our lives, and and I think it's easy to get lost in the mindset that Kyler Murray uh, is the best quarterback, isn't the best quarterback they've ever drafted and developed. But it's, I mean, yes. frankly, it's it's true with all due respect to Jake Plummer and company. Like he's already one of the all time great, like numbers wise, he's already one of the one, uh, and he's in his mid twenties. <laughs> so why do you? So why do you? Why do you think, Jess, that so many people? And they, everybody's entitled to their own opinion are so easy to write him off. And the Caleb Williams conversation is a different conversation entirely. But why do you feel like it's easy for people to forget just how much this franchise has struggled to field that position at a high level? Well, I think what it is, is the level of expectation. We see it. We've seen it with other sports and other players when a top picks. We'll go back to, to the Diamondbacks with Justin Upton. Now, he ultimately didn't didn't live up to the bill of, you know, generational type franchise changing players, but it always felt like fans didn't like what he was doing, despite producing at a high level. And Kyler Murray, honestly, if we look at aside from last season in his first three years of the NFL, with all the lofty expectations that came into it, all the criticism about being short, um, the first overall pick, football or baseball he's exceeded he's at least met every level of expectation that any reasonable fan could have aside from playoff wins when he basically was the reason for most of the success they had in 2020 2021 yeah i don't think you can argue with that uh, i mean what they them being ahead schedule in, in 2020 and and with having that unique off season, obviously with COVID and you bring in Deandre Hopkins and you don't really get to work out with the draft class it, for them to come out of the gates. They beat the NFC, the reigning NFC champion uh, on the road to start that season and their upstart. And, you know, obviously they falter at the end of the year and then they're able to figure out the following year and then, and then fall off a cliff too. It was, it was all, they went as Kyler Murray went. And when Kyler yeah. Murray was playing at a high level, the Arizona Cardinals were playing at a high level. So, you know, What's it look like 
in in your eyes, Jess, when and Johnny, you can obviously jump in on this, but what what you know, Drew Petzing, your new offensive play caller, how does he get Kyler Murray back, you know, to playing at that level? And you know, we saw the quotes from Flight Plan and, and we've heard from Kyler himself how he's gonna take a look at himself in the mirror and he's going to listen to coaches and stuff like that. I mean, he's saying all the right things. We're seeing him put in every you know, all the work at the facility five, six days a week. Uh, Gannon saying his car's there at night when he's leaving. I mean, it, it seems like Kyler Murray's putting and doing everything that you would want from your franchise quarterback to rebound from his most pedestrian season of his pro career. I think what that is is I, I, I think he's hitting a maturity level. Remember when Kelvin Beach and said he needed to grow up and everyone took yeah. that really badly. <gasps> <laughs> it was it came it was a harsh credit as it was harsh sure words, it was it harsh words to say something that's completely normal he needed to grow up and do more that didn't mean he was immature and kelvin even told me that it wasn't because he didn't have leadership it's not because he was immature he just needed to do more and that's exactly what he's doing he's done a little bit more every off season um and this is the first and i think what's making a difference for public perception of him is the fact that he's done it in the building. I have no doubt that he has, when he is in the previous off seasons was hitting his training just as hard. He's an Uber competitor, but it was at home. And so no one saw him. His teammates didn't see him, which was within his right to do, um, to do the off the, um, the voluntary part of the off season at home training where he works with his dad but this offseason, he's been more visible. DJ Humphreys, who's already a Kyler Murray fan, has grown to love him even more because he's just saw how hard he's hitting his training in the offseason. DJ says that's that's how you get to know what type of football player is, how hard they push in the offseason, not during during the season. And and I think part of it, part of what his maturation is, he got that he finally got his contract. Last year yeah. was crap but it's not like he didn't put in the work he just had there was a lot of things that went wrong and so he's always been moving forward to that and and i think he's i think he's learning that he also needs to say the right thing people gave him a bunch of crap about saying i don't need to grind film 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. he's not saying he didn't do film work he just didn't need as much of it um there's the perception of him as and then with the off, last offseason, just I don't understand what the organization was doing in terms of what they were what was coming out about Kyler, because everything you heard about him by coaches and players was great. You knew that he was a different kind of guy, a um, little more reserved and things like that. But you're now getting him hitting another level of maturity when he is now learning how to how to basically reach different types of teammates in different ways. He, like he said, in the quotes I, I read just today, he has like talking like harsh coaching, being coached hard. He responds to that really well. And yeah. so that's the way he responds to teammates. So he's, he'll, he'll ride a guy's tail when they're not doing it right. And we've seen dozens of quarterbacks do that, but when Kyler does it, it's, it's a problem, but he's learning that that's not the only way to do it. He's learning that he needs to reach out to his teammates in different ways. And he's making connections with teammates like he hasn't done in the past. And and so whether it was, one, the, the level of toxicity in the organization that it feels like there was in last season, 
He feels the difference. I think Jonathan Gannon is a fantastic coach for him. Uh, I like to describe JG as Jim Harbaugh, who's not an a-hole. Uh, Jim Harbaugh made everything a competition, but very annoying and turned people off after a while. And Jonathan Gannon seems to be the right balance of everything is a competition. He's going to coach hard, but there's compassion behind it all. And I think Kyler's going to respond to that incredibly well as a guy who just loves to compete, wants to win, wants to work hard. And has honestly, in terms of, of mentality, I think one of the things with him is that he has a hard time when he doesn't see guys around him putting the same level of effort into winning as he does. I don't want to compare him to Kobe Bryant as a player, but I think he has kind of the same mentality. Jess Roop, keeping it money here on the PHNX Cardinals podcast. Speaking of money, let me tell you about our friends at BetMGM Sportsbook, the great lawn at State Farm Stadium. We will be there every single football Sunday this fall, live, home game, away game. It does not matter, but what does matter is getting on that BetMGM app. We use that bonus code PHNX starting Friday, June 23rd, throughout the course of the summer. You're going to be able to get bonus bets back into your sportsbook account every single third day of the week. Again, you got to use it or you lose it 72 hours to log in and claim that bet. But for our friends in Arizona, if you haven't signed up yet for BetMGM, use that bonus code PHNX. Now, there's a few different offers depending on where you live. But for, again, our folks in AZ, place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your team loses with BetMGM. Again, make sure you're using that promo code PHNX. Check out the show notes for details. And now listen to our guy, Shane Diefenbach. Talk about it in the disclaimer. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369, New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP-ARIZONA, 1-800-522-4700, Kansas, Nevada, 1-800-327-5050, Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF-IOWA, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help, Michigan. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit. Always like to talk about Four Peaks, continuing to spread the good word about Arizona's premier craft brewery. Of course, been around for over 25 years in the Valley of the Sun, synonymous with, of course, this great state, just like our favorite football team, baseball team, basketball team. So it was Four Peaks Brewing Company. Check them out, 8th Street. Go find out what your favorite beer is that they have on tap that they brewed at that location kilt lifter of course is the flagship you got the number one wheat beer in the state that's the wow wheat it's unreal and uh so are all the ipa selection the barrel age selection is unbeatable as well so smooth it's great post uh meal selection to have there and the appetizers the entrees the desserts they all go crazy it's not just a bar menu it's a full-on restaurant there at four peaks go find out for yourself h street and tempe follow them on your socials at four peaks brew and at four peaks pub they've got contests always revealing and unveiling new products new beers at Four Peaks Brew on Instagram and at Four Peaks Pub on Twitter. Got to be 21 years or older to enjoy the beer, and of course you should do it, And as always, responsibly. Jess Root, Johnny Venerable, Bo Brock hanging out with you, our roundtable. And, you know, you, I asked you a little bit about the new regime and Monty Asifort. You talked about Jonathan Gannon, but Monty, 
I feel like this offseason, Jess, it, it, Monty was tasked with cleaning up the mess that Steve Keim left, right? And he wasn't able to really show off his full skill set as a GM. He's, he's been making unpopular but necessary moves uh, for for the rebuild, right? I mean, he didn't re-sign Zach Allen, didn't re-sign Byron Murphy, let those players walk potentially for comp picks down the line. And then we saw him put kind of some of his his powers on display draft night, trades down from three with Houston, gets the haul in return, then trades back up to six, trades down in the second round, gets a pass rusher in B.J. Ujolari, a very well-regarded draft class, what was what have you not seen from Austin Ford so far that, that you want to see potentially at the beginning of the 2024 offseason? Well, what we'll be able to see next offseason is where his priorities in terms of roster building. Uh, he comes from the, the Patriots who love to build in the trenches. And if you look at what he did with the defensive front so far, <laughs> when your most when your most accomplished defensive lineman is Carlos Watkins. And he's a he's a fine NFL player, but he's the best they got right now. Um, I want to see more. I, I think he did an okay, I did think he did a, a fine job for kind of piecing together, um, piecing together the the offensive line. Yeah. And but the defensive line, we will definitely have to take a look at that um, next offset. That's what I want to see. We want to see a couple of big money moves um, next offseason when they've got the money. Um, and kind of go from there. Hopefully they, they get contributions across the board from guys this year. But what we have right now, I think he and, and Gannon have got together is that they're trying to put the right caliber of people players, like the mm-hmm. way they are in the locker room, and then add the talent after that. So they you might you might see them take a greater risk over the next year or two on guys who aren't necessarily like like 100% football character loved in the locker room but we have to build that first in the locker room so that the higher talent guys who might be slightly you know he says leave them no ego in the building that doesn't mean they don't have egos they just be team first some some of those more talented players that are going to be difference makers they are a little bit me as long as they're with the team too and but they got to get the the culture in the building first before you can do that. Say, say like they they let they release DeAndre Hopkins. Say there's a DeAndre Hopkins type player next year or the next. That type of caliber player, even though there's a little some questions about his practice habits and things like that, you can put, bring him in the locker room once that culture is established. So we talked about potential moves for next off season. Let's look at the roster holistically right now. And and you made the argument at the beginning of the show, Jess, you think it's in a little bit better spot than Chicago was last year. And I, I would agree with that. I, you know, the bears were, were a tough watch on, on most Sundays and, and they jet setted their best linebacker, their best pass rusher. I mean, they, they were not hiding it. And while the Cardinals cut Deandre Hopkins, I, I still think, you know, Kyler Murray comes back. I think the offense is, is very viable. I think they've got yeah. Trey McBride and Hollywood Brown. I mean, when you look at this roster, are there a couple players that you that you're anxious to see pop this year? Uh, outside of even this rookie class, are there some time holdovers that you would say at the end of the year these are guys that that should be considered building blocks for this franchise that doesn't have a ton? Well, I, I think once, especially once you get Kyler back, whoever's at quarterback beforehand, I think the offense is going to be limited be, simply right. because Colt. He, there's limited things that he's going to do 
schematically. But when Kyler comes back, I think Hollywood's going to like if he stays healthy, he showed early last season he he's has he can be a true number one wideout and he can be dominant. Zach Ertz is incredibly productive still. Um, like if he hadn't gotten hurt. So let's go back to, to 2021. He played only 11 games with the Cardinals. He tied the franchise record for tight end receptions. He he will break that record if he plays a full season. Now that, that partially that just tells how bad our tight end production has been historically. Sure. But you know, you get Kyler there that you're gonna see, you're still gonna see Hollywood perform. I really want to see what they do with James Conner because it seems like if he's the guy and he stays healthy, he can produce. He was he was he was analytically a better running back last year than he was two years ago when he scored all the touchdowns. He wow. just wasn't as great for fantasy for fantasy. Um, Rondell, you know Zach Pascal. I, I I don't like he was a he was a, I think he's a sneaky sign because. He's done some production before. He's had two 600-yard seasons in under his belt. So I think he could be sneaky okay this year. But once you get Kyler back, I think that offense is okay. I mean, yeah. you, they will be able to score enough points to be in games. And ultimately, it's going to come down to how the defense can gel. Because the, the way the personnel looks like right now, it's not – it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good right now. Um, but, yeah, off, offensive side of the ball, Hollywood – Connor, um, you know, Ertz, McBride, those guys m- more. Can he stay healthy? Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe even Greg Dorch, but we'll see if, if he can do the same thing that he did in the offense last season. Defensively, everything's a big question mark. Um, Cam Thomas. I want to see Cam Thomas take the next step. He he looked, he was disruptive in his in his limited playing time. Can he do it on a full-time level? Um, and then we, we get to see the two guys they moved positions. We looked, we thought we were going to have. We, I mean, honestly, we probably all thought that we were going to be looking at a four-three defense, and that the linebacking core was set off the ball. That you're going to have Kaiser, you're going to have Zavin, and you're going to have, and you're going to have um, Isaiah Simmons. And now they moved some as a safety. It appears that Zavin's moved off to the edge full time, and so now you've got Kaiser, and you're like, I don't know who's going to play next to him. Is it going to be Chris Barnes? Is it going to be, uh, is it going to be a special teams guy like Josh Woods or Zeke Turner? It is it going to be the rookie on Papo, but there's so much intrigue defensively because what we, I think, universally expected to look at schematically still is on paper a three man front that'll be much more versatile, but it's it's looking different schematically than what we saw in Philadelphia. Yeah, I mean, when you looked at their playoff run, they were they're given different looks. They were they were given that three four four three, you know that that nickel that penny. I mean, Jonathan Gannon is kind of true to his word to where he won't commit, you know, no. to what their what their base is. I I heard something that I had not heard before. I was talking to the Eagles guy. I was doing that preview about the Eagles game. Mm-hmm. Apparently, Rollis and and Gannon are both. I didn't know this. Fangio disciples? I I, I know they came up through Mike Zimmer, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that there was a Fangio connection. Yeah, I mean Fangio I was there with the Eagles at the end of the uh, at the end of their right, playoffs. Right, right. He was a consultant. He was a, a right. Late, he was, and he was mostly the consulting with their with their offense yeah. as far as what what the offense should expect uh, from you know Spags in the case. But I didn't defense. know that he had a that there was a Fangio background to them. I thought that was more Zimmer than anything else. Yeah, that I mean. Everything that that we've heard and read based on their time in Minnesota and just, you know, Petsing was on that staff. They Zimmer was the one we all had kind of 
heard that could potentially join the staff at, right. at any point right. as a senior consultant. And then that, that kind of got debunked, but I had not heard Fangio. Well, I mean, like you got Eberflus and I mean that Colts defensive unit that they, that they had, that there was a lot that I think Rollis and JG took away from their time in Indianapolis as well. And, uh, I mean, I, I think that he's just kind of a sponge, and and every any stop that he made, even with in Louisville with Bobby Petrino, I think that there was impacts that that kind of created and developed Jonathan Gannon as as a head coach. Um, but I, I think you're right. I mean, when you look at this offense, I think that you can you could predict, you know, if if things go relatively perfect, like this is a unit that could be successful at the NFL level that could be, you know, in the top half, I'm not saying top 10, top right. five offense, but it, an offense that, that would be a step forward over last year's group to where defensively, if all things go right, I mean, we're talking about really getting some unique production from some unlikely sources. I mean, your pass rush is, is, is you mentioned Cameron Thomas. That's probably is he your most proven commodity at right, right now as a pass rusher? Because Zavin making the position change. BJ Ujolari is the youngest player on this team at 21. And then you got, you know, Maje Sanders, Dennis Gardeck. It, it really is strange. And, you know, when, it, when you talk about that other linebacker position, it does seem like it's Josh Woods. Uh, as far as who's, who's kind of leaning all the young players out there, yeah, we talked to him, Johnny. I mean, he's a guy that, that looks at this is is his, his real true opportunity to to break through just being a, a an all time special teamer in this league. Yeah, that's I, he's a guy that I've heard as well. I, I heard the interview that you guys had. He wants to bust the door down, be a defensive yeah. player. Chris Barnes, that's the intriguing one because he probably was one of the you know the least mentioned signing they did. He's yeah. played. He he has the of the linebackers that they have in the room, the off the ball linebackers, excluding Simmons and Collins, who still technically on the roster are inside backers. Barnes is the only one that has significant playing time on defense. Woods has, I think 113 defensive snaps one year. Zeke Turner's got a handful of them. Um, and then oh, and Papo is obviously a, a rookie. And then you got Kyle Soley, uh, also a rookie. And so that room is incredibly raw. Barnes is a guy I want to watch like Woods as well for different reasons. Can he make the, take the next step in his career and do what Lorenzo Alexander did becoming basically full-time special teamer to be an impact right. player on defense. Um, but Chris Barnes played significant number of snaps on, on defenses before with green Bay and had 80 tackles his first two seasons. Um, so that, that, was as a depth move was an underrated move to begin with, but actually might end up being a significant contributor next to Kaiser white. Yeah. I mean, isn't it great that we're talking about guys who, who could potentially play a role that were not first round picks. They weren't right. used with premium picks. It's like, <laughs> Hey, yeah. Off ball linebackers, you know, if, if you hit on one great, but yeah, they should probably be taken, you know, mid to late in the NFL draft or, you know, minimal free agent signings. Uh, I want to talk to Jess about, what he thinks of the Cardinals draft class from this past April. But first, I want to tell you guys about pins and aces. It's the official golf apparel of our partner here, PHNX and All City. Check out Big Drive Energy wherever you get your podcast. Love my gear from pins and aces. You can too. Again, polos, hats, golf bags, even their famous beer sleeve, an innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag. Keep the drinks cold the entire round. Their website is consistently popping off. Stuff's going in and out of stock quick. So be sure to check out pinsandaces.com. Use that promo code PHNX. We're going to get you 15% off your first order plus free shipping. 
That's pinsandaces.com. Also, OG's Brands, don't forget about them. They released their new pink lemonade-flavored gummy. You don't want to miss out on this. Of course, you think about summer, and you think about ice-cold pink lemonade. Of course, it's right there. It's got that uh, flavor that uh, will bring back all the nostalgia. Check out everything that they've got, ogsbrands.com. All their products are right there on their website, ogsbrands.com. Figure out if you're fruits or creams guy or gal. Also, check out their sleep edition gummies. will help put you to sleep and keep you asleep. Don't want to miss out on that. There's an Aquaberry Sleep Edition flavored gummy from OG's. Flavoring life, that's what it's all about. Just like PHNX Sports, that's what OG's brands, that's their mission statement. Check them out on Instagram as well. At OG's brands, you can find all their products. Your local dispensary, got to be 21 years or older to purchase. You know, I was thinking about it, Jess. I rarely get what I want from this team in the first couple rounds of the NFL draft, right? Like, I think dating back to maybe like 2011 2012 like i i loved michael floyd that i thought that was fantastic and i love josh rosen but outside of that i did not love isaiah simmons as our our viewers know zavin collins was fine they've just they they've been all over the place in the first round this was the first time in a, in a long time and Bo can attest to this that i was beating the drum for paris johnson jr because i, I just thought it was safe i think he's a tremendous tremendous talent with plenty of upside we talked to his position coach from ohio state like I think he's just got a really high floor. And for a team that does not hit on enough first-round picks, it's just like, can we just get a guy who gets a second contract? Can we get a guy? I know that's DJ Humphreys, but you got such few quality reps during like his, his first couple of years in the NFL that you were kind of hoping and guessing with that next contract. And thankfully, it's panned out. Like, would you make a Paris Johnson Jr. in the rest of this draft class for the Redbirds? I love there were a number of players at the top of the draft I really liked. And when you had the third pick, it made it really easy to like a lot of players. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they were able to land future picks and land Paris Johnson, who in fact that we later heard was the guy Kyler mm. wanted. Funny story. Like if, if you recall, Steve, Steve Kime always, Love to comment how Kyler would send him texts. Hey, this guy. Hey, this guy. Hey, this guy. They never listened to him. Um, but you see, you see the players that Kyler wanted them to draft all excelling in the NFL, and you're like, oh, maybe he's got something there. Now, Awesome Fort played coy on draft night, say because he said, oh, Kyler liked that guy. I, I, yeah. I thought you know they made each other or something, but come on, Monty, come on. He was he was regularly texting Steve Kime guys that he wanted. He he was in the building when Paris was there. Clearly, you knew that Kyler wanted Paris, and I think this was one of the things that turned. So I loved that pick. Ojulari on the night there on the night of the draft wasn't my favorite pick, but I get why they did it. There were a couple other players, even pass rushers, that I preferred. But then you look at the fact that he's so young. And the other guys that were looking were were COVID were COVID babies in, in the draft. Yeah. So they had an extra year, so they were older. I get why they did it. He was super productive, um, and has the youth, so he's got room to grow, and uh, and super athletic. The, there was only there were two picks that I I didn't love. Like where Garrett Williams, I get I get why they did it, but could you have gotten someone who's going to probably contribute this year? Michael Wilson is, is an intriguing selection, but in, in terms of where he was, where he was drafted, it's a perfect match. Um, Clayton tune. I get, I didn't love the pick, but I like the prospect. 
But pretty much across the board, um, going into that draft, they kind of hit kind of every area that they could have, except for the center position. We all expected a center. We, we, we were all, I think everyone uh, following the Cardinals had, was watching uh, Luke Whipler. Luke Whipler, mm-hmm. Whipler, Whipler. And then he falls to day, the late day three. So clearly the Cardinals didn't really like him. And they and John Gaines might be the center of their future, mm-hmm. but he's only got two games under his belt for it. Um, but in the moment, I I liked most of the picks. Look, afterward, you're like, those are really like for the risk that you take at different spots yeah. with the moves that they made itself. It, it was just a fantastic draft because they filled needs. They got talent for now and for later. And they added capital for next year when they figure. And, and I think the plan is this: if they show enough, they show enough promise with Kyler w- upon his return, they feel that they can be big players next year and legitimately compete in twenty twenty four. Yeah, I thought that Monty Osford kind of had not made not necessarily the Midas touch. I mean, that remains to be seen. But obviously, going premium positions with this. First three picks, tackle, edge, corner, kind of a newcomer to the premium positions, wide receiver over the last two seasons, right? It seems like teams are really emphasizing that and paying top dollar for wide receivers. And then you look at, I mean, like Gaines, I'm with you. I'm not about to anoint him their starting center. He's too far removed from the last time he played the position. He's obviously the most athletic offensive lineman from the class. He's got the smarts. He was quoting poetry in one of his press conferences. A lot to like, right? But a long way to go. And and then the lottery ticket type guys that, you know, I don't think Steve Kime really knew how to try to hit on those late round picks and and to go with a key trail Clark who's undersized. But I think, you know, he, he's a guy that plays with his hair on fire and stills who was a TFL machine at, in the big 12. It's just like, if, if those guys can find some, some spot, some niche on this roster, I think that that's a win for awesome Ford at the back end of the draft where I, you didn't find that, you know, under the previous general manager. But uh, when we talk about, Paris Johnson, though, I mean, a ton to like, Jess. I mean, obviously, the on the field, the off the field, the between the ears, you know, a guy that speaks several languages, including Mandarin. He's philanthropic, and then he's just a beast. You, you see all the highlights. Uh, you, you look at a, a publication, you look at three different publications, and you'll find three different positions for Paris Johnson Jr. I saw him primarily at the right tackle spot. What do you think the best part to deploy your first round pick is to start his career? I think they signed him. I think they drafted him to play tackle, and yeah. he's gotten the work at tackle. Um, the the when people were plugging him at left guard, sure he could play left guard because he's played the left side of the line playing left tackle. He played right guard, so you know he can play both guard and tackle. You know he can play both sides of the line at, at a high level. But his length and athleticism, you want to tackle, and I think they selected him with the idea that he's going to be their starting right tackle this year, um, making making Josh Jones spot on the roster and Kelvin Beecham spot on the roster, both kind of a competition for each other. And, and Beecham was re-signed with the idea that he wants to compete and he wants to, he wants a little bit. And he got that. He, he got his full salary this year is guaranteed. Um, but he might be playing a different role uh, this year coming off the bench. Cause I think Paris Johnson is going to be their right tackle this season. Um, and then potentially moving forward, moving to left tackle once they're ready to move on from DJ Humphreys. Yeah. And I think, you know, signing Beecham at the time, while it was confusing to a lot of people, it's just like, 
well, they didn't know they were going to be able to get right. Harris Johnson Jr. definitively. Uh, what if what if they would have gotten like a second or third tier tackle prospect that you just I mean, Paris is a plug and play player. And I, I've been adamant just since day one, like you have to play him in his natural position. I know he can play guard, but I mean, for a season that a lot of people, not myself, but a lot of people think is a throwaway season. Like, what are you doing? Not playing him a tackle in, in favor of. And I love Kelvin Beecham. He's in his mid thirties, right? He's not going to be part of your future. Um, and I, I frankly would love to see Josh Jones get play at tackle. Um, should he, should he get an opportunity? We know DJ Humphreys has been injury prone. All, now he's in what equates to a contract year with all of his guaranteed money moved to this year. Let me ask you this. You'd kind of floated the idea of potentially moving off of either Beecham or Jones. Do you think they could get something of worth for Josh Jones as we head into the preseason or, and this is kind of where I'm at, the Cardinals have never had the luxury of four capable tackles. Do they just hang on to it? Um, depends on how, depends on how they play the roster, because also I think, I think one of them you could trade. I think potentially Beecham is solid enough that you could trade him. You won't get much for, for Beecham, but I think you can get a little bit for Jones. Although why wouldn't you keep him around? Right. Especially this year being a year where they're, they have almost all young players. He's young. Um, he does his, his salary bump this year does make it make it interesting in terms of roster building because they sign some others that the guaranteed money comes into play, not just the, the signing bonus, but the salary Beecham's entire salary is guaranteed. Elijah Wilkinson, whom they signed uh, a, a player who I actually think will be their starting left guard. $940,000 of his salary is guaranteed. Dennis Daly, two year deal, $400,000 of his salary is fully guaranteed. And I think, and, and, and while I wasn't at practice, so I technically, I, I didn't see it. And, and, but I heard, cause we know we're not supposed to talk about these things. I heard that uh, Daly and Wilkinson were the ones getting the reps, the first team reps at left guard Wilkinson towards the end. And so I'd be looking at those veteran positions there, Beecham and, and Jones, because of their, their tackle positions, they're going to have some value on the market. Can you keep four tackles when you have guys because you need a center, you need a center guard backup, you need a tackle guard combo, and you need a swing tackle. So when, you, when you're building your roster, you've got your five starters, you need, you need a backup center, an interior guy, and like a swing tackle and a guy that can play tackle guard. So if you're keeping eight, nine guys, Beecham could be your swing guy. You could keep Jones as your tackle guard combo, but that complicates things because both Wilkinson and mm -hmm. Daly are that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis, Dennis Daly is like a, <laughs> that's, that could be trouble for this, for this fan base if he sees meaningful snaps. I saw, I, he was trending on Twitter one day in the nightmare after I clicked Don't on it. Left tackle, okay. He the, might, I mean, right. Gannon said this is a low key thing when they signed, when they signed him. And it was just an offhanded comment. Gannon, they, they someone said about Dennis Daly, you know, because he played left yeah. tackle this year. And Gannon just off the cuff, he said, um, I, I hear he plays guard much better. Yeah. And that's the, that there was, I, that was kind of a comment that no one caught. Yeah. It was like, oh, their plan for him is it guard, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, the two year deal tells you he was an Austin Ford guy. He's a good depth guy. Will he start a left guard? I don't know. Hopefully, I mean, Left tackle was 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 not good last year, but he's really not a left tackle. That would be like that would be like asking Will Hernandez. Well, only Will Hernandez is a much better caliber lineman. Period. But asking Will Hernandez to play left tackle um, for an entire year when DJ Humphreys goes down is like when Taylor Lewan went down last year.
Yeah, you can't fill every need in one offseason, right? And the Cardinals, they didn't address center. They didn't address guard uh, with, with the, well, all due respect to John Gaines, who is a, a day three pick. But you can fill every need in your display shelf with our friends at FOCO. They got the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. FOCO is the leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with great product lines that include apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more, of course, baseball season is in full swing. Aloha shirts, straw hats, polos, bags, whatever you need as we hit the home stretch here in August and September. Set decor, FOCO's got uh, a ton of stuff on display on their website, which is fantastic. Check them out. They're big advocates and supporters of Arizona sports. Best gear around is at FOCO.com. That's www.foco.com. Use that bonus code PHNX, and for all non-presale items, you're going to get 10% off, Bo. Yep, and uh, you can get uh, some perks as well by becoming a diehard right now to PHNX. Of course, go to gophnx.com or the phnxlocker.com, and you can set yourself up for some incredible perks like free gear from the locker or uh, maybe some money off your next route at Dobson Ranch Golf Course or your next stop at Illegal Pete's. Of course, exclusive access to our member Discord where we're talking cards football 24-7. Don't miss out on that. Become a diehard today. Uh, we're going to have a lot of great things, including you know uh, the, the full takeover with the Diamondbacks. Yep. You can get early access to that and maybe some things along with our, our tailgates in our post games over at the BetMGM Sportsbook. But, of course, don't delay. Become a diehard today. Go PHNX. Dot com. So as we record this podcast, this roundtable with Jess Root, uh, Jess, you know, the Cardinals, once they get Vijay Ojolari in the fold, they figure out the guaranteed dollars on his contract. You know, they'll still have a few roster spots remaining to get to 90 uh, before we get out of here. You know, who, who do you feel or which positions do you think that this team would address uh, once uh, they start to take the field officially in training camp? I'm not convinced that they're set at running back or at center. And and at least we have we have evidence that they might not be at center when they brought in Chase Rulier for, mm-hmm. for a visit before minicamp. Now, Rulier ultimately retired. He announced his retirement this last week. But the fact that they brought in a veteran center tells me that they still have an eye on that position, that, that Yelda Froholt's probably not going to be their starter. The, the list of centers out there is unimpressive overall. <laughs> They're old. They're old and and hurt, almost all of them. But the guy I've said for months to keep an eye out for is Ben Jones, the Titan starter from both Texans and Titans, you know, the connections that Austin Fort has previously um, and with the Casario and everything there. I keep my eye on on him. Uh, I know you guys have mentioned it as well, but at running back, I'm not convinced that if they're going to be focusing on running the ball, that they are going to bet on Keontae Ingram based on what they saw last year. They didn't draft him. He, The GM didn't draft him. So those guys have something to prove. Corey Clement, you know, like he, he kind of built there. He's had a few rushing yards here and there, but he's been mostly a special teams guy. I would, if, with the three roster spots that they still got, um, I would expect a center and a running back at least. And, and if they're going to be targeting veteran players, you know, I, I'm sure you guys have mentioned it, but Kareem Hunt is a guy that makes sense at running back, Ben Jones at center, because I, I, I'm just not convinced that they're going to roll into season when they're trying to build their offensive line to protect their quarterback. 
um, Kyler Murray coming back to have a guy that's got four NFL starts. And, and Froholt is literally the only guy on the roster that's played any games in the NFL at center, and it's four. Four games. We'll get you out of here on this, Jess. So gracious with your time. Cardinals over under with our friends at BetMGM in Vegas. Four and a half. What's the win total looking like for the Redbirds? Knowing that Kyler Murray had a schedule with this torn ACL could get, I don't know, at least three-fourths of the season with your franchise quarterback. Where do you think they end up in the standings at the end of the year? What's the record? You know, I take a lot of flack for it, but when I did my game-by-game predictions, I based it on a Kyler Murray returning in week six. I thought they'd finish. I think they would start uh, two and seven and then kind of pick up the pace later in the year. I have them winning seven games as optimistic total. Um, I think, but in terms of of, of projected, I'm super confident in over four and a half. If you want to go a little bit extra confident, I know that the, the win total, the, the, the line for five and a half over five and a half is really, really lucrative. Nice. Uh, it over, up, four, over four and a half is good enough. I what is I think plus plus one twenty. That's that's a good bet to me. That's a really good bet. Plus five and a half, five and a half, um, over five and a half, it gets even better. And that's a little more risky, but I think I think there's at least five wins in this team. Five to seven Long I think season, is reasonable. Man. Five to seven is a reasonable like seven is like everything going well. I, I don't think they're gonna get much better than that, but I think I'm projecting Kyler coming back about week six. And that he's going to play well. And so by the end of the year, that defense will, and 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 at least with the players that they have the roster, they're going to be a competitive roster. They probably will lose competitively many, many times, but start to pick up a few wins because they do have winnable games on their schedule. That tech, they play the Texans, they play the Falcons, they play the Bears. And those three games are very winnable the Rams games. Twice. The yeah. Rams twice. The Rams, we don't like the Rams are a big mystery. And I think they sneak in a win. Like I think they're their their sneak win early in the season is going to be the Giants. They're going to win their home opener against the Giants with Colt McCoy. Nice. Uh because I don't believe the Giants are that good. <laughs> um and but I think that's going to be the only win they get till Kyler comes back. So yeah, I I I like the over four and a half and I even sneaky like over five and a half. So six, seven wins, even though my, my personal prediction was seven and, and seven and ten overall. Jess Root yeah check them out. Cards wire managing editor rise up red sea podcast been a pleasure to have you on jess as we continue the off-season coverage training camp just around the corner follow him at jess root he's at bill brock i'm at johnny venerable we'll catch you next week